This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Love makes us do funny things. It's the one common emotion that binds us all. From the earliest sensation of being an infant and finding comfort in our mother's arms, to the sweaty, awkward first pangs of puppy love in our teenage years, to getting married and having children, and all the other ways humans connect to one another and experience that sense of completion we can only get from having someone else in our lives, be it a spouse, a child, a best friend, or even a pet. That's love. Poets and songwriters and artists have tried to define what is love for as long as there has been poetry and music and art. It's that most unselfish of emotions that's only fully experienced when you have that special partner in your life that you can't be without. That certain someone who is as much a part of you as one of your own limbs. But what happens when that special someone dies and suddenly it's as if you had that limb amputated? What do you do then? Psychologists talk about the seven emotional stages of grief. Shock, disbelief, denial, bargaining, guilt, anger, depression, and acceptance. But not all people fall into easily defined psychological categories. And not all people are able to move past those early stages of grief. Some people absolutely refuse to let their loved ones go, even long after they're dead. I'm Nate Hale, coming to you from an unnamed amusement park on a solar ride through the tunnel of love. And this is The Conspirators. In ancient Greek mythology, Penthesilea was a beautiful and fierce Amazonian warrior queen the daughter of Ares, the Greek god of war, and Otrera, the previous queen of the Amazons. Think of her like Wonder Woman without the invisible jet or magic lasso, and a lot more violent. While on a hunting trip, Penthesilea accidentally killed her sister Hippolyta with a spear. Penthesilea was so overwhelmed with grief at what she had done that she only wished to die herself, but she needed to do it in the most honorable Amazonian way, in battle. So in order to receive the death she so desired, Penthesilea, along with twelve companions, decided to join in the Trojan War, fighting on the side of Troy's defenders against the Greek invaders. On her first and only day of fighting, Penthesilea proved her reputation as the fiercest of the Amazons by single-handedly slaughtering dozens of Greek soldiers. She cut a bloody path straight through the invading army and made a beeline toward the greatest prize of all, the head of the mighty warrior Achilles. She managed to reach Achilles, but her sense of victory was short-lived as the legendary warrior took her down with a single blow, piercing her breastplate and impaling her right through her horse. At first, Achilles mocked her corpse. How dare such an insolent creature, and a woman to boot, think that she could ever best him. But then Achilles removed Penthesilea's helmet, and he immediately regretted everything he had said and done. She was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen, and he fell instantly head over heels in love with her. 
Now the legend is a bit muddled as to what exactly happened next. So the story goes that the Greek warrior Thersites openly jeered at the mighty Achilles for weeping over the body of a woman. That was a mistake. Achilles was well known for his unstoppable rage in battle, and he lunged at Thersites with murder in his eyes. But while the two men fought, Diomedes, Thersites' cousin, hooked Penthesilea's corpse to the back of his chariot and took her body for a joyride around the battlefield, then cast the body into the river. Achilles slew Thersites, then he went and pulled Penthesilea's body from the water, cleaned her up, and gave her a proper burial. At least that's how that version of the story goes. One version of the story that's considerably darker says that the real reason Thersites began jeering at Achilles was not because he was weeping over Penthesilea, but because Achilles was so overcome with emotion that he began making love to the Amazon's corpse right there on the battlefield. Throughout history, there have always been certain lines most civilized societies know instinctively you should never cross. Dead is dead, after all. That doesn't mean there haven't been people who've tried, though. King Herod the Great was allegedly so distraught over the death of his second and favorite of his ten wives that he preserved her body in honey and continued to have intercourse with her for several years after. The term necrophilia can be traced to a Belgian psychiatrist named Joseph Guislain, who coined the term in reference to a French criminal named Francois Bertrand, who had been accused of exhuming and desecrating bodies from a Paris graveyard. Although the term has been generally accepted in the psychological community, the subject is considered as taboo for study as it is in practice in most cultures. In fact, it wasn't even until 2013 before the subject had its own listing in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the primary text for psychiatric disorders. Keep in mind, not all reported cases of people living with the dead involve necrophilia, and not all of them are part of ancient history either. For centuries, there was a tradition in parts of China that said if a loved one, such as a brother, died without ever getting married, the living relatives would need to dig up an eligible and single corpse and rebury them with the newly deceased as a spouse they could take with them to the afterlife. Chairman Mao ended the practice in the 1940s, but even today there are rumors coming out of China that an active plaque market exists in the buying and selling of eligible corpses for the purpose of making sure no one's loved ones have to experience eternity alone. In 2009, a 57-year-old Vietnamese man named Lee Van made headlines when it was discovered that he had been sleeping next to his dead wife's body for five years. When the woman passed, Lee Van couldn't cope, so he dug up her remains then encased her body in clay, making her into a human-shaped gypsum statue, and to this day he continues to sleep next to her. Loneliness and loss are powerful forces and they can make even the most normal people do the most irrational things. In November 2013, Belgium authorities made a grisly discovery when they went to investigate reports of a terrible odor coming from a liege apartment, only to discover an elderly woman who had been living with her husband's now mummified corpse for more than a year. Similar stories have sprung up all over the world of lonely people whose spouses have suddenly died, and they're so stricken by grief they continue to live with them long after they're gone even going so far as to change their clothes and prepare meals for them. A 91-year-old Pennsylvania woman named Jean Stevens was so lonely, she dug up the embalmed corpses of both her husband and her twin sister, and she arranged the two of them on a couch in her garage where they remained for 10 years. Then there's the case of Anatoly Moskvin, 
a 47-year-old Russian academic and linguist who did something straight out of a horror movie. Moskvin was arrested in 2011 after it was discovered that he had dug up more than 150 graves and exhumed the bodies of 26 young girls ranging in age from 3 to 15. He mummified the bodies using his own concoction of salt and baking soda, then clothed them, posed them, and arranged them throughout his house, like his own private doll collection. Moskvin told psychiatrists that he knew what he did was wrong, but he felt the greater wrong was how each of the girls' families had abandoned their children and left them all alone. So he brought them home and gave them a home with him. Moskvin would talk to the girls and interact with them, sing songs to them and watch cartoons with them, even held birthday parties and celebrated holidays with them. Keep in mind, Moskvin isn't your typical idea of a lunatic. He speaks 13 languages and has a genius-level IQ. But even still, psychiatrists found him incompetent to stand trial, and he remains in a Russian mental hospital to this day. Back in the U.S., when it comes to sheer strangeness, perhaps the most infamous story of all is that of Karl Tanzler, or Count Karl von Kosel, as he's sometimes referred to. Karl Tanzler was a German-born bacteriologist who worked at the United States Marine Hospital in Key West, Florida. He was born in Dresden, Germany in 1877, and he became something of a world traveler before settling in Florida. Throughout his early years, Karl would often tell friends and acquaintances that he was visited by visions of a dead ancestor named Countess Anna Constantia von Kosel, who revealed to him the face of his one true love, a raven-haired beauty whom he never stopped looking for. Tanzler married a woman named Doris Anna Schaefer, and together they had two daughters, one of whom died of diphtheria at age 10. As a young man, he traveled to India, and from there to Australia, where he developed an interest in sailing. He emigrated to the United States in 1926, first setting sail from Rotterdam to Havana, Cuba, before landing on U.S. soil not long after. He was joined in Zephyrillus, Florida, by his wife and two daughters, although he left the three of them behind when he took a job as a radiologist in the Key West Hospital, assuming the name Carl von Kosel. On April 22, 1930, while working at the Marine Hospital, Tanzler met a beautiful young Cuban woman named Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos, or just Elena to friends. Tanzler recognized her immediately as the raven-haired beauty he'd been looking for his entire life. But the news wasn't good for Elena. Her x-rays showed advanced-stage tuberculosis, and Tanzler knew the young woman only had a short time to live. Tanzler professed his love to Elena, and he convinced her that he could cure her with daily doses of x-rays and a tonic he made from a combination of gold and water. During the time that he treated her, Tanzler showered Elena with gifts of jewelry and clothing, but she rebuffed his advances at every turn. Despite Tanzler's best efforts, Elena Hoyos died on October 25, 1931. Grief-stricken, Tanzler paid for Elena's funeral, and with the permission of her family, he commissioned the construction of an above-ground mausoleum for her in Key West Cemetery. Night after night, Tanzler visited Elena's grave, where he would profess his love and tell her how much he missed her, until finally she answered him. Tanzler claimed that during his nightly vigils, Elena's spirit began to appear to him and serenade him with a favorite Spanish love song. She would whisper to him in the dark how lonely she was in the cold cemetery and how she wanted nothing more than to be able to come home with him. This went on for nearly two years until one evening in April 1933, Tanzler decided he couldn't take it anymore and he had to act. 
So the old man crept through the cemetery and removed Elena's remains from the mausoleum, carting the body back to his home on a toy wagon. He placed the body in his bed, but the warm, moist Florida weather had not been kind to what remained of Elena. Tansler pieced the bones back together using wire and coat hangers. He fitted glass eyes into the skull cavity and replaced her skin with silk cloth coated in wax and plaster of Paris. He replaced what remained of her hair with a wig, then packed the abdomen and chest cavity with rags to maintain the body's shape. He dressed her in stockings, gloves, and jewelry, and he sprayed her with large amounts of perfume and disinfectants to mask the putrid odor. Tansler lived with Elena like that for seven years. It was a daily struggle to keep decomposition at bay, and by the time authorities caught on to what he was doing, Elena looked more like some sort of freaky homemade mannequin than a human corpse. In October 1940, Elena's sister began hearing rumors of what Tansler had done. She confronted the old man at his home, then notified authorities when she realized to her horror the rumors were true. Tansler was arrested, given a psychiatric evaluation, and found mentally competent to stand trial for grave robbing and desecration. He was brought before the Monroe County Courthouse to answer for his crime, but the charges were soon dropped and he was set free because the statute of limitations had already expired. Elena's corpse was examined by several physicians and pathologists, and soon after it was put on display at a local funeral home where nearly 7,000 spectators showed up to see what Tansler had done. Eventually, Elena's body was returned to Key West Cemetery, where she was reburied in an unmarked grave in an undisclosed location to prevent further tampering. Today you can visit Florida's Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum to see a life-size replica of the corpse. News of what Tansler had done went nationwide, and public sentiment was surprisingly positive toward him. The general attitude seemed to be that Tansler was just an eccentric old man pining for a lost love. Decades later, a darker side of the tale would come forward when some pathologists suggested there were signs of necrophilia, but even today those stories are in dispute. In 1944, Tansler moved to Pasco County to be close to his wife Doris, who still lived in Zephyrillis, Florida. In 1947, he wrote an autobiography that appeared in the pulp magazine Fantastic Adventures. He legally became a United States citizen in 1950. Something that's not as often reported about Tansler was that even in the years after his discovery and arrest, he still couldn't let Elena go. So he made another. He used Elena's death mask to construct a life-size effigy of her, and he lived with it until his own death on July 3, 1952. Some people say that Tansler was found dead in the effigy's arms, although others claim that this is just a myth and that he was found collapsed on the floor of his home next to a piano organ. One other story that's almost certainly not true, and probably just someone's idea of a romantic ending to the tale, goes that the figure Tansler died with wasn't a plaster effigy at all, but the real Elena, and that at some point he had gone back to the cemetery and located her corpse and brought it back home with him again so that she could be with him until the day he died and for all eternity after. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. You can find more episodes, show notes, transcripts, and more at theconspiratorspodcast.com. If you like the show, you can really help us grow by downloading us on iTunes and leaving us a review. We're also available on Stitcher and the Google Play Store. Thanks for listening.